Welcome to Tashma, the podcast where you get to listen in on Hadar's Beit Midrash. I'm Rabbi Avi Killip. Each week this year, we will hear a Dvar Torah on the weekly Parsha from Rabbi Eli Kampfer. Let's listen in. Should I pray even if I don't know if my heart will be in it? Ideally, prayer is a pouring out of the soul. When people prayed in the Torah, there was no question that they were sincere. It was an unscripted moment in time when they had an urgent need to connect with God. Indeed, if prayer is fundamentally a way of addressing God by expressing emotion, how could you even imagine saying words to God that are rote? But in Jewish practice today, people don't only pray when they feel moved to pray. We are mandated to say the Amida multiple times a day, and we can't guarantee that each of those moments will be characterized by intention or kavanah. This trade-off, the guarantee of regular prayer without waiting for a specific urgent reason to address God, is a dangerous one to make. After all, prayer might become an entirely rote recitation of words with no emotional valence at all. We risk a world in which, as Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel complained, we quote, recite the prayer book as if it were last week's newspaper. But imagine a world in which you were violating the second commandment if you didn't have proper intention for prayer. This is indeed the position of one Midrash. Quote, Do not take the name of Hashem in vain, Exodus 20, verse 7. From here, our sages said that anyone who prays without intention, kavanah, we attribute to them as if God said, for God will not forgive those who take God's name in vain. Yalkut Midrashe Teman, page 104. This understanding of the commandment not to take God's name in vain is unusual, although it makes a certain amount of sense. If we recite God's name in prayer, but don't really feel the intention we are supposed to have when reciting that name, aren't we violating the prohibition on taking God's name in vain? This certainly raises the stakes of prayer. Indeed, a logical conclusion is that one should simply not pray the Amida if one cannot achieve Kavanah. This seems to be the position of some sages, such as Rabbi Elazar. Rabbi Elazar said, A person should always take stock of themselves. If they can direct lechavein their heart, then pray the Amidah. And if not, then don't pray. Brachot 30b. Rabbi Elazar says, One should be honest with oneself. If you think you can pray with Kavanah, then pray. But if you can't, you shouldn't risk trying. Later rabbis suggested that one should forgo praying the Amidah if one's emotional state was not conducive to Kavanah, whether because of feeling troubled, distracted, or angry. Some rabbis would wait three days after returning from a journey to pray the Amidah, presumably because of ongoing distraction. Rambam exemplifies this approach with a succinct formulation, quote, whoever does not have Kavanah for the Amidah, it is not considered an Amidah. And yet, this is not the standard we follow today. Already in Talmudic times, certain rabbis gave voice to their struggle with kavanah, while nevertheless continuing to pray. Rabbi Chia Ruba said, I never had kavanah in my life. Once I tried to have kavanah, and I thought in my heart and said, who will enter before the king first, the tax collector or the exilarch? Shmuel said, I count clouds. Rabbi Boon Barchia said, I count rows of bricks. Yerushalmi Brachot 2.4.5a. Rabbi Chia admits that he was never able to achieve Kavanah. 
The one time he tried, his mind ended up drifting to a random thought about proper royal etiquette. Shmuel and Rabbi Budden Bar would stare up into the sky or at the wall and mindlessly count. And yet, they continued to pray the Amidah. Later authorities made room for praying the Amidah without the high bar of Kavanah. Quote, Rav Natronagaon wrote that all this, the specific exceptions to reciting the Amidah, is in the early generations when their hearts were prepared for tefillah. But in our day, we do not cancel tefillah because of distraction, for it may come from a place of not for its own sake to a place of for its own sake. Sefer Habatim, Share Tefillah, Shar 7, number 20. Rabbi David HaKochavi, who wrote a commentary to the Rambam's Laws of Prayer, notes in the name of Rav Natrona Gaon that all the limitations on praying because one cannot achieve kavanah are limited to an earlier time, when there was a regular possibility that people could, in fact, achieve kavanah. But nowadays, if we were to cancel prayer simply because we couldn't achieve kavanah, there would be no prayer. So Akochavi says that we do not cancel prayer. And he holds out hope that even if we do not begin with kavanah, perhaps we'll get there eventually. To me, it is a tragedy when people say that kavanah is not possible in prayer. Granted, it may not be achievable in every instance, but to give up entirely on the possibility of focus and connection and to abandon the consequent effort is a step too far. Sure, we don't want to violate the second commandment by praying without kavanah, and that bar needed to be lowered. But holding on to some of that ideal of striving for kavanah seems to me an important opportunity for those serious about their prayer life. How might we inch back from Rav Natronai's permission to disregard kavanah and toward a renewed commitment to intention in prayer? There are many pathways, and in my writing this year, I hope to return to a number of methods. For now, I want to propose one which is closely related to the receiving of the Ten Commandments, the experience of standing before God. The model of seeing oneself as standing before God in prayer derives in part from the experience of the children of Israel standing at Sinai. What can we learn about Kavanah from that moment of receiving the commandments? Quote, The nation learns that when a person enters into the service of God, with full knowledge and consciousness, they rise to a heightened level of which there is none in the world, and their standing before God is one of closeness without intermediary. All the forces of nature are making noise, the noise of earthquakes, thunder, shaking mountains, the sound of the shofar getting louder. But Israel is inclining its ear to listen only to the speaking of God with Moshe. Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch to Exodus 19, verses 16 through 19. Hirsch describes the moment of revelation, a scene filled with noise all over, distractions from the main event, God's speaking. But in Hirsch's envisioning of the scene, Israel is not distracted by any of the other noises. They can concentrate on the essence, God's presence. In describing how to take the first step toward Kavanah, Rambam describes something similar. Quote, how does one achieve Kavanah? One clears one's heart from all thoughts and sees oneself as if one is standing before the Shekhinah. Hilchot Tefillah 416. In today's world, there are so many distractions, so much noise. The first step to achieving Kavanah is to work to tune out the noise, both literally and figuratively. How do we do this? Rambam, based on Mishnah Brachot 5.1, suggests sitting for a little, 
before praying. Perhaps music helps tune out the distractions. Maybe it is as simple as turning off one's buzzing phone or closing one's eyes. When Israel received the Torah, they were overwhelmed by the presence of God. Today, it is harder to experience that feeling. But the moment of prayer offers an opportunity to attempt to experience God's presence before us and to tune out the distractions. And even if we can't always achieve kavanah, we shouldn't forgo the opportunity to try. Shabbat Shalom. Our producers for this podcast are Sam Greenberg and Jeremy Tabak. Thank you to David Chabinski for editing this episode. I'm your host, Rabbi Avi Killip. It's been a pleasure to learn with you.